Do you have enough time in your life to do everything that you need to do? Or are you filling your life with all sorts of other stuff and it keeps out the important stuff in your life? When I worked in Dallas, I remember uh, commuting to work every day. I lived, in, I lived in Wiley and I worked in downtown and the commute there was uh, about an hour. About an hour to go from my house just to go to work, and then about an hour to go home. And if I if I broke the I didn't have if I didn't want to drive in traffic, I could take the train into town, and that would take an hour. And if I decided not to take the train, it would take over an hour to get home. Sometimes during rush hour traffic. And so when I came here to Kilgore, one of the things I thought about in my life was I am about to get two hours in my life to do all sorts of things, two hours extra in my life to spend time with my family, two hours extra in my life to put into exercise, two hours in my life extra that I could devote to God, two extra hours in my life. I was so excited knowing that I didn't have to make this huge commute every day. But what happened to those two hours? Where did it go? I mean, I'm lucky. I just work one day a week, one hour a day. Actually, if I work an hour, y'all get me upset. But surprisingly, we fill our lives with all sorts of things, right? Our lives get filled with all sorts of things. And when we thought we had this extra time, we thought that we would do all this to get this extra time. We find out we just don't have the time. We just don't have the time to do what is important in life. The last two weeks, we talked about the greatest commands that God has for us. And Jesus says the greatest commands that we can do is to love our God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And then he says the other is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if we don't have time, do that. How much time can we put to our God? How much time can we devote to our neighbor? If we look at what love means, Paul writes in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he tells you all the different things that love is. And the first thing he tells us is love is patient. Love is not something that's busy. Love is patient. And so how can we love and live life? How can we love our God? How can we love our neighbor and live a life? In America, we think that being busy is a, uh, is a badge of honor sometimes. We like the idea of being busy when people say, what did you do this week? Ah, oh, I was busy. It was busy. I've always got something, something going on. And, and we like the idea of hard work. That's a good thing. That's an incredible quality in someone to, to be a hard worker, to be a dependable person, to know that I can count on this person. If I ask them to do something, they're going to come and they're going to do it. So we like hard work. We like dependable. But do we hold busy as this badge of honor that maybe we shouldn't? Because when we're busy, when we're hurried, maybe we're not following that first part. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. 
There's a Christian author, John Ortberg, and he has this quote that says, Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. Love always takes time, but time is something that hurried, busy people don't have. If you look in your relationship, you want to be able to spend good quality time with the ones we love. We don't want to just rush it. We want to spend this good quality time because that's what develops relationships. And so we live in this world where we're called to love our God and love our neighbor. But if we're busy, how can we give good quality time if we're already giving it to our work, our family and everyone else? How can we follow the greatest command of God? In our society, we all read people. But being busy, being hurt, being impatient doesn't typically give the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus says, I came to give you life and to give you an abundant life. What is that abundant life? If we're busy and we're hurried all the time, that leads to stress. That leads to uh, heart issues. That leads to emotional issues. It leads to depression. It leads to less time with your family. It leads to less time in your spiritual walk with God. Being busy, hurt, takes away. It doesn't add to and it doesn't give you the great life that we should have. And if we look at who had a lot of stuff on their plate. We can look at the great teacher. We can look at Jesus Christ. And Jesus had stuff going on all the time. But do you ever think of Jesus as being busy? Or was Jesus ever someone that was a hurried person? That rushed through things to hurry up and get through things? He had all sorts of people vying for his time, and yet... He seemed to always have time for all that he came in contact with. For instance, if you look in Luke chapter 18, verse 15, it says people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus said, or but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The disciples are, are trying to manage the crowd. They're trying to see who can go see Jesus, who can't. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but Jesus is surrounded by people. They did not have time for the children. Especially in those days, children were, they were there and, and the parents of children, I'm sure, loved them, but, but children could be a nuisance. Children didn't really add to society. They were a drain on society. And if you look at ancient writings, it's, you'll be pretty hard to find uh, stuff that talks about the greatness of children. And yet Jesus says, during his what should have been busy time, bring the children to me. Don't stop them. 
I remember a few years back, I was at a funeral, and um, Sydney was, well, she wasn't in school yet, she was, she was uh, real young, maybe three or four, and we were at this funeral, and there were several folks from our congregation there, and I had to go and talk to someone that was across the way, and the quickest way to go was to go in front of the casket, because that's where one of the ministers was that I needed to talk to. And I walk over there and I'm holding Sydney as I'm walking by and she's looking in the casket and her eyes look a little bit strange, right? Which I guess she should, I mean, that, that would be odd. And we get back to that seat and Sydney says, what was wrong with that man? And so as this minister, loving father, I explained to her how he is asleep right now and one day he is going to wake up open his eyes, and he will be with Jesus. That's pretty good, right? That's what it says in the, in the Scriptures. We'll talk a little bit, just a little bit about, about people waking up and being with Jesus. And Sydney looks at me. There's no getting past her. She says, that man's dead, isn't he? I said, yeah. Right after that, Sharon Krantz... Right now, she looks, she she says to me as we're after the funeral and she says, you know, I really appreciate you explaining that to your daughter. She says, when I was a young girl, when people had viewings uh, after after people passed away, they would do it in people's houses and they put them on like the, the kitchen table or the living room or the dining room table. Anyone ever experienced something like that? She said, I remember that happened to me one day and I walked out, out and I saw someone lying dead on the table, but no one was going to explain to me what was going on. She said, back then, children were to be seen, but not heard, right? And I felt, at least maybe I made one good dad decision that day, and she complimented me on that. Taking time to spend with children. Instead of being busy and just passing them off, Jesus wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to be hurried. He was going to show them He loved them. When I graduated from high school, I remember getting, a, getting this book, and I don't remember the name of the book, but it was like 100 Ways to Live a Good Life. And it just had different things that you should do to live a good life. And one of the things said, to the best car, you, the most affordable car you can that works good, but don't spend much money on it. But buy the most, afford, most expensive house you can buy that you can afford. But that's kind of interesting, I guess, because houses can appreciate in value and your car will, will depreciate, right? It will just uh, become worth nothing. But one of the things it said, it's it, life, and it, has a, it is a huge thing, but it says anytime you see a kid... At a, have a lemonade stand in your neighborhood, stop by and spend your quarter on lemonade. Now, if these kids are trying to crank up the price, probably you got to watch that, but what's a quarter to an adult, right? Stop by, you don't have to drink, drink it or move on your way, but it's showing the kids you love them. Showing them they, that they mean something. On Wednesdays, 
Starting in the fall, we have kids that crowd out in the parking lot. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about next week after our potluck is how we're going to implement loving our neighbor and all of our neighbors that come into our parking lot. We're going to see how we can show these kids at about three in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon, that they're seen, that they're loved. And we'll talk more about how that's going to look, but there's going to be several things that we'll be doing, not just that, but that's some way that we're going to try to show our neighbors that we love them. You see, Jesus was constantly being bombarded by people. And as he would walk along in the, on, the, on the roads, people would ask for him to help them. And one day he just gets off of his boat. In Mark chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus here is talking with Jairus. And something important to do, right? Jairus is worried about Jesus' own helping. But as he's heading that way, crowds start to gather around Jesus. And as crowds start to gather around Jesus, people are starting to uh, ask for Jesus' time. Matter of fact, one woman in the crowd that she's been struggling with an illness for years and years and years and the doctors can't figure it out and she thinks, if only I could just touch his robe and maybe then, maybe then I will be healed. And so in Mark chapter 5 verse 25 it says, and the woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body she was freed from the suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding all around you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. As Jesus is walking along, he feels someone that needed to reach out and touch him, someone that needed some time with him. And just the touching of his clothes healed her. But he didn't just keep on going, knowing she was healed. He wanted to talk to her, wanted to know who this woman was. He had places to go. He had kids to heal. But he wanted to spend time with this woman that knew, had the faith that if she just touched his clothes, she'd be healed. And so he finds her, he waits around till she comes up and, and uh, fesses up to him that it was me that touched her, right? And he spends time with her because Jesus understood what it meant to love his neighbor. And what's a neighbor? A neighbor is someone that is close to you, that is drawn near to you, someone that you come in contact with. 
And the way he was going to show her love is he's going to acknowledge her and show her that she's freed from her suffering. You see, it was kind of hard for Jairus at that time because, because, because Jesus was spending time with others. Something troublesome was going to happen. In verse 35, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus. And the synagogue, the synagogue leader says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus things to do. He had something important to take care of. And they it's too late. Don't quit bothering the teacher. Quit wasting his time. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Have faith. Believe that God is going to take care of what's going on in your life. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the home and he tells them, girl's just sleeping. And he grabs her hand, says, Tabitha, get she wakes up and she is alive and she is well. And the parents see that Jesus took exactly the right amount of time. The time to take care of people that came into His presence and the time to still fulfill His duties, what was important at the time. But He didn't do it hurried. He didn't do it as if He was busy. He did it as someone that was loving and caring. Do you see how Jesus? There's countless numbers of stories where Jesus goes and he spends time with people. And Jesus never stayed in one place too long. He had a mission. He had to go and he had to do things and he didn't just linger at one place too long. But every time he was at a place, he spent time with people. Jesus understood how many hours in the day he had and he made the most of each of them. In Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, it says, so teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Let us understand that we only have 24 hours in the day, so let's use each of those hours as wisely as possible. Let's use each of those hours to accomplish the great things, the most important things that we need to do in our life. We have 24 hours, and, uh, and some of those are sleeping hours, and some of those are working hours, and some of those were at the church building, and then... We have these other hours that we need to be wise about. That we need to open up our eyes and see those that need help. One of the problems we have with these 24 hours is we have lies that we tell ourselves. We lie to ourselves and say, things will settle down someday. In a while, things will settle down and I'll have plenty of time later on. That's what I thought when I was moving here. I'll have plenty of time. I have these two extra hours. And yet the only time things are going to settle down is if we truly 
start adjusting our schedule and prioritizing the greater things in life and eliminating the things that don't matter. Or eliminating the good things so that we can do Or the only other time that times are going to slow down or time that we finally close our eyes for good and then one day wake up and see Jesus. Another lie that we might tell ourselves is more will be enough and we spend our time so that we can have more things, so we can have something newer, something shinier, so that we can get this next promotion and we think that will be enough for us and that's when we'll be content. And yet that never makes us completely happy. We'll constantly and constantly be chasing after the next thing. More will never be enough. And the last lie or myth that we tell ourselves is everyone's like this. This is America and we're busy and everyone lives like this. And while that might be true, in some sense, it doesn't have to be true for us. We can prioritize our time better. We can eliminate the busy, the meaningless, or even some of the good stuff to fill ourselves with the greatest things in our life. In this life, we can only do a few things really well. And I think it's a good idea to make certain that one of those things is what Jesus says was the most important. If we want to follow the commands of our God, we need to learn to prioritize the most important things in our life. Just like the video showed us these these, uh, uh, balls that they were trying to fit in the jar. If you put them in first, everything else fits into place. But if you put them in last, there's no room for them. Our purpose in life is to love God and love others. And while sometimes that means that we Forgo the good things. It also might mean that we accomplish the great things. So what does it mean to forgo the good things? I think about when Dane was in eighth grade and he was uh, doing he was he was the best best person on the science team in in uh, his district. He would constantly get first or second place over and over again on the science team. He knew science like nobody's business, but he also had to play football. He didn't have to play football. He wanted to play football. And these two things were just were just uh, getting at each other. He had to be at practice, but he also had to be at football practice, but he also had to be at science practice. And the teachers were saying, you need to be at practice. And the coaches were saying, well, you need to be at practice. And it was just taking away from his time. And he was good at both. But he needed to make a choice. Do I strap myself and make myself busy and hurried and stressed? Or do I eliminate one of the good things so that I can have time for the other, but ultimately have time to do the great things in life. As a youth minister for many years, I saw students that got so busy, so busy doing all sorts of things that they didn't have time to do the great things. And it's not students only, it's all of us. We get busy and we don't have time to do the great things in this life. And so Jesus tells us that we get to see 
this controversial story. And it doesn't seem like it should be controversial, but it is because a lot of us are going to have problems with this story. And this story is told right after the, the parable of the, or, the, or the story of the Good Samaritan. And right after he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he tells about these two women, Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, or verse 38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where Martha opened her home to him. She, was a, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help. Martha is sitting there. She's getting a big meal ready. She's cleaning the house. She's getting everything ready for Jesus and 12 of his disciples. That's a lot of folks at your house, right? She's got a big meal to prepare. And her sister isn't doing what her sister is supposed to do. In that culture, her sister was, was supposed to be raised in order to serve others and cook and take care of the house. That's what the culture told her that she was supposed to do. She wasn't supposed to be sitting at the feet of the rabbi. Matter of fact, who sits at the feet of the rabbi? The student, the star pupil. And in those days, women weren't supposed to go and learn. That was for men only. And yet Jesus is allowing these cultural barriers to be crossed because the most important thing that Mary could be doing in Martha's mind is serving. But in Jesus' mind, He says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered you. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary is doing what the culture said that you shouldn't be doing. The culture says you should be serving. That's what you were raised to do. But what's Mary doing? She's doing the most important thing. She's learning from the Master. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She is she is loving God with all of her heart, all of her soul. All of her... And Martha was doing good things. But Mary chose to do what was better. We have all sorts of good things in this world that we could. All sorts of good things in this world that we could be doing. But sometimes we need to sit back. And do what's better. And what are those things? What are the greatest things that God asks us? To love your God and love your neighbor. And sometimes we think about loving your God. It, we, we, we kind of dumbed it down to love God, love people. And that sounds good, but that almost makes it to where you just love universally and you look past the people that are actually in your neighborhood to love locally. 
to actually go out and see folks and, and show them love and, and, and ask them to ask them what you can do to help out. I have this great neighbor uh, that lives kind of catty cornered from us, I guess a few doors down. He saw Dane mowing the yard. And then after Dane was mowing the yard, we don't have uh, an attachment that gets the grass bagged up. Maybe I should get one of those. But he saw Dane raking all this up. Dane's doing a good job. But the older neighbor goes to him and he says, you know, there's an easier way to do that. He saw this young man working in the yard and wanted to give him a little bit of advice. And then Dane comes in and tells me the advice he needs and the different tools he needs to buy in order to get it. So it might cost me, but it was the neighbor was being kind. He was being nice. Just going out in the neighborhood looking. Sometimes we need to be like Mary and, and forgo some of the good things in this world so that we can spend time Doing what God wants us to do. The greatest things. And there's three ways we can prioritize our life in order to follow His commands. One, we need to make the main thing the main thing. We've got to do... What is the main thing? Love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you need to go just uh, zip into your garage if you have a garage close the door and not see anybody around your neighborhood, but stop in the driveway, walk out the box, look around. Maybe it's time to spend a little time walking up the streets of your neighborhood, waving high. See something, see a young man that's, that's doing a job. Be like our neighbor. Talk to him about that. Loving our neighbor. And hopefully we're going to do that not just in our own neighborhood, but here where this church has been placed. Because this is what God has asked us to talk next week after the potluck of how we can do that in this neighborhood. Make intentional time for those. And then we need to eliminate the time stealers. These things where we uh, fill our lives with maybe it's television, Maybe it's surfing the internet. Maybe it's just spending time doing, doing meaningless things. And sometimes it's even spending time doing things that maybe we need to cut back on. And ultimately, we need to be like Jesus and be willing to be interrupted. When we see someone in need, we should stop and help in any way we can. Today is an opportunity for you to reevaluate how you're living your life, how you're putting your priorities in life, and where you're putting your priorities in life. But the number one priority is for Jesus to be the Lord of our life. And if you've not committed your life to Him, if you've not made, been baptized into Him, you can do that today. Or maybe you just need the prayers of the church to help you Prioritize your time better so that you can do the greatest commands. If you have any need, please come while we stand and sing.